So didn't ask Jay. I said I have a quarter uh, for him. So shiny. shiny. <laughs> hey, listen. Before we jump into today's sermon, let's uh, don your mask, get up, and go elbow bump someone. Say hello to them. Tell them congratulations, and I'll tell you why in a moment. Also, at the back of the uh, sanctuary, there is coffee, and I do not want to take donuts home today. So please grab a donut too, and we'll get started just in a couple minutes. All right, if you can make your way back to your seats, uh, let's do that. If you're getting coffee or donuts, uh, feel free to do that. But let's make, it, make our ways back to our seats, please, if you can. Just a real quick, uh, I, I forgot to give Jay this message to share, but uh, this Thursday is the ladies' meeting here at camp uh, at 6.30, correct? 6.30 uh, here at Camp Carl. So if you are a lady uh, and want to come and join... Um, us, you're more than, not us, but them, <laughs> you could uh, be welcome to do that, uh, come and spend some time, 6.30 on Thursday. I'll leave that one alone. All right. You know, after a big event or a holiday, or something along those lines, we have a habit of looking back, and, and maybe even during a holiday, we have, a, we have this habit of looking back and watching and, and remembering all of these things that have happened in the past. And today, uh, not only is it the Sunday after Easter, but today is actually Passion's 15th anniversary. So... Some of you have been here for almost every year. <laughs> uh, some of you have been here uh, just a few, and that's fine. Uh, and some of you are new, and that's fine too. Uh, all of this is possible. Fifteen years is possible. Now, I want to, you know, I, I always struggle with what I can say or what I should say during a time like this because, to be honest with you, um, you know, fifteen years is a long time. 
But it's also, if you look at the stats of a church, new church plants, about 90% of them won't last five years. 95% of them don't last seven years. And roughly about 98% of churches fail after 10 years. 98% of new church plants, I should say, fail. So only 2% last longer than 10 years. Well, congratulations, we have made it past that 10 years, and we're actually at 15 years. Now, having said that, there's some, uh, some things that you know, we can look back and say, hey, I'm really happy that this has happened. And, and I am really happy. I remember, actually, I was, I was just, I, I was sitting back there during worship, and I was thinking to myself, I remember the very call that Doreen Sisley made to me about, hey, what's this church all about? We're from Columbus, and, and we're trying to figure out, you know, and, and I remember that conversation. I remember uh, the first time meeting Paul and Becky Long, and, and uh, remember the prayer of, uh, not being able to have a children uh, or a child, um, a baby, I guess is the best way to say it. Now we're praying that they stop. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. But I remember all of these things. I remember all of these times, and it's an amazing thing. But I also, and I think back of all the people that have come and gone, and, uh, and some that have come and gone and then come back, and some that have, have been with us. It's just amazing uh, to see what God has done in those, um, th- this time that we have together. Um, but I'm also wise enough, hopefully, to know that you don't just look back. You have to look forward. We have to look forward to see what's going to be happening in the next, you know, 15, 20 years. We have to look and see what's going on around us today in, in the environment that we live in and understand that if we don't do the work that God has called us to do, then we're probably not going to be as successful as we need to be. Um, I'm having a little bit of problems, Robert, with my slide, so I'm trying to, if you see me fooling around on the iPad here, that's what I'm doing, but... We have had a wonderful time for 15 years. We ha- we've seen some amazing things in the last 15 years and, and some amazing uh, miracles that have happened to our church and to the people in our church. Yet, we can't just remain in that past 15 years. The most important thing that we have to understand is that in the past 15 years, there has been some wonderful things, but we cannot rely on those remaining in those 15 years. God has called us to be a church not of the last 15 years. God has called us a church to move forward and look forward. A vision for a church has to look forward and see what's going on. It's not much different than what the disciples were facing when they were dealing with Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection has happened. It's an amazing event. Last week we talked about Mary and, and her interaction. We talked about Peter and John, how they raced down to the tomb to see what was going on at the tomb. And they look in. John looks in and he realizes that Jesus has to be resurrected. Peter looks in and he starts to see the empty tomb and he starts to ask questions and he starts to try to figure out what's going on. But it does not say in any scripture at that time that Peter understood that Jesus was completely resurrected. 
It wasn't until Jesus shows up to Peter, and then later on Peter goes through this amazing forgiveness uh, story, and he realizes that Jesus has indeed resurrected. In fact, I think uh, Peter finds out that he's really Jesus when he jumps out of the boat to come running to, uh, to, to swim to the water side, the edge of the shore, to see him. But there's an amazing thing that happens during this time. Here is Jesus. He's resurrected. He's appeared to Mary. He's had this conversation with Mary. Mary goes back. He tells the disciples. They tell the disciples what's going on. They tell the disciples that, hey, this is happening. This is truly what has happened. Jesus has resurrected and he was there and I have come to tell you those things. And when he does that, when Mary does that, when she does that, the disciples do what? They don't run out into the town. They don't run out and they, start, they don't start sharing the gospel. They don't start celebrating. They don't throw a big party. In fact, John tells us they do something actually separate. They do something uh, Contrary to that, I should say. What they do is they, ended up, they end up going to the upper room of the apartment that they were, had in the city. And not only does it say, uh, actually, John chapter, let's turn, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 20. Verse 19 On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, this is the day that Jesus has resurrected, this evening time, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now I just want to pause there for a moment and I want you to realize what's going on. The disciples have heard from Mary. They have heard what was going on. They have heard from Mary that, that she has seen Jesus, that he is alive. Mary comes running back to the, to the apartment, to, to, the, to the room where they're at. And they begin to, you know how you can, this is a side note, but you know how you can tell you're married to a music teacher? When you say when the room where it, where it happened and you start hearing a song in the back of your mind, it's not, it's not the verse. I start singing, uh, what is that, uh, Hamilton, yeah. It's a room where it happened. That's, 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 that's when you know you're a, uh, married to a music teacher there. So. But they are in the room where it happened, right? They're in this room. They're in this upper room. They're locked there. Why are they locked there? They're locked there because they're afraid. They're afraid of what is going to happen to them. They just watched their savior. They just watched their rabbi, their teacher, be crucified on a cross, hung on a cross, killed on a cross. Yet they also then have realized, at least through Mary's account, that Jesus has been resurrected. However, they find themselves still. They find themselves still in a locked door behind and afraid of what the Jewish soldiers are going to do. What happens next is, is an amazing thing. The door is locked. The door, no one, Jesus doesn't knock on the door. He doesn't come in and say, hey guys, let me in. I'm here. 
He doesn't, he doesn't request to be in there. The verse says that Jesus came and he stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Could you just imagine for a moment being locked in that room, not only locked in the room because of their choosing, but locked in that room because of fear. The fear that they had received, the fear that overran them, caused them to be locked in a room. They were not only locked physically in a room, but they were locked spiritually in this room too because they were afraid to do anything. And yet Jesus just appears to them. Jesus comes through the door, comes through the wall, however he entered in. You can tell that Jesus is in a resurrected form because Jesus didn't need to open up the doors. He didn't need to come in through the windows. He could come right through a wall. And it overcomes the disciples. Let's pray and then we'll ask the Lord to be with us and then we'll continue on moving forward. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing and what you have done for us. Lord, help us this day and every day to follow you. Lord, may we understand that we are following not a God who is dead, who's in a, in a tomb somewhere, that we're not following a God who is not alive, but we are following a God who has been resurrected, a Savior who was willing to die on the cross for us, but was also willing not to leave us alone and is alive today with us. So we praise you, Lord. We ask you, Father, help us today to understand these scriptures. Help us to understand, and even as we celebrate 15 years of of Passion Community Church, Father, we celebrate not because of what we have done. We celebrate because of what you have done. And so, Lord, we come to you and we ask you, open our minds. Holy Spirit, come and give us the truth. Open our ears and our senses and all the things that we need to grasp what you're speaking to us through these Uh, messages today and through these verses that you have given to us. Lord, I pray that my words would not be my own, that they would truly be your words and that you would speak your truth to us through these words. Help us today to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The truth of the matter is, is that Jesus wants to come through the doors of every locked area of your life. If Jesus had not been resurrected and he was in his bodily form, uh, he would not have been able to transfigure right through the doors. Now, some would say he's God, he can do whatever he wants, and possibly he could have. But in his human nature, in his human form, it is impossible for me as a human to go through that wall. Unless I listen to like Stephen Furtick or someone like that, then maybe I could go through that wall. But no, I'm kidding. It would hurt to go through that wall, Right? Jesus comes through this wall because of his resurrected body. But it's not just that he comes through this wall that we have to focus on. We have to focus on why he came through this wall. Why did Jesus come through this wall? Why did he come into this place? He came into this place because he knew the disciples needed to overcome their fear. They had locked themselves in this upper room and they needed to overcome what was going on. A resurrected Jesus wants to come into the areas of your life that you have locked away. Locked away maybe because you have shame. Locked away maybe because you have fear. 
locked away for whatever reason. We all have those areas in our life where we say, God, you can have all of this, but I'm going to keep this little one right here. I'll give to you everything. I'll give to you my health. I'll give to you all of this. But I'm going to hang on to my money because I really like my money. I'm going to give you everything, Lord. I'll give you everything I have, but I'm just going to hang on to this one little area of my life because I'm afraid that if you do something with this, it's going to change it. You're going to change it too radically for me. And so we keep a hold of those things. And what happens is that when we hold on to those things in our lives, when we hang on to those very things that we're not willing to give over to Jesus, Jesus is going to bust right through those walls and take them from you anyway. And so out of an act of worship, we should say, God, I'm not going to lock my doors. I'm not going to hold on to anything in fear. I'm going to give it all over to you. It's yours. Here you go. The disciples were afraid. They were locked in the room. And they didn't want to let go. And so Jesus had to come in through the walls. He had to come in to the place where they were at to share with them the beauty of who he is, to unlock that fear, to unlock those doors, to unlock all those things and say, it is okay. And the very first thing that he says to them is he shows up to them and he says, peace be with you. Now, let me tell you, peace is probably not the first thing those disciples were thinking. They might have been thinking, I need to go to the bathroom because I need to clean out my drawers, right? (laughs) Jesus just came through the walls. How is that even possible? And so they're having this this conversation, and I'm sure it's not peace that's the first thing that's coming across their mind. No, in fact, peace is probably the last thing. They're probably amazed, shocked, maybe a little frightened over what's going on. And so they find Jesus standing beside them, and he says, peace be to you. This idea of peace that Jesus brings to them is an important avenue and it's important, something very, very important that we have to understand. Jesus doesn't just come to them and say, hey, what are you guys doing? He doesn't yell at them. He doesn't say, why are you locked up? Why are you living in fear? Why are you doing all of these things? You should be out sharing the gospel. I have overcome death so that you can go out and share the gospel. But instead, Jesus just says, I give you peace. And peace he gives to them. Jesus goes on to have this conversation with them and the disciples go on. Let's read the next uh, verse here. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They were happy that it wasn't the Jewish people that were coming to arrest him. They were happy that it was someone else. It was, they were happy that it was Jesus. But then Jesus says to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so am I sending you. This is very interesting because Jesus has just died on the cross. He has just resurrected. The disciples go back to what they were living in. Now they're without their teacher. They're without their rabbi. They're without all of these this, this important figure in their life, they're afraid, they're, they're fearful of what's going to happen to the Jewish people, and so inst- from the Jewish people. So instead of going out and sharing the gospel, what Jesus had taught them to do for three and a half years, they spent with Jesus. For three and a half years, they spent this time with Jesus, learning how to share the gospel, learning how to pray to heal people, learning how to deliver evil spirits, to, to do these amazing things. 
And the very moment that Jesus is removed from their life, they overcome fear, or they have, they're overcome with fear, I should say, in their life. See, a resurrected Jesus sends us out. A resurrected Jesus doesn't want you and I to remain in the place that we've always been. A resurrected Jesus says, listen, it's not for you to stay in this locked room. It's not for you to be locked up with fear. It's for you to go out into the community. It's for you to go out into the workplace. It's for you to go out and do what I have taught you to do. He sends them out. He says, I am sending you as the Father has sent me. Now this is not just any small commissioning. Jesus doesn't look at them and say, listen, you're supposed to be out sharing the gospel. He says, I'm sending you as the Father has sent me. There's an authority structure here that Jesus is laying out and you have to understand that, right? The authority of God the Father is first. God the Father sends Jesus. Jesus has the authority then to send his disciples and so he speaks it to his disciples to send them out. Why is the authority of Jesus so important? It's important because Jesus is mimicking what God the Father has said to him and in that authority comes power. Do you understand that Jesus isn't just saying, I'm sending you out on your own uh, volition. I'm not sending you out on your own. You're not going to have anything. You're just going to go out. Good luck. Have fun. Here's five bucks. I hope you don't run out of gas. Well, hope your donkey doesn't slow down. No, Jesus says to them, I am sending you as the Father has sent me. Why is that important? It's important because God didn't send Jesus without any power to this earth. Even though he was fully human, we know this because we can, even in this discussion, the discussion, uh, in this discussion, not this discussion, but the discussion we had on Wednesday, we talked a little bit about this too. Jesus was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus was fully human, but yet he still had full capacity of the authority that God had given to him. The authority that God sends us out with, the authority that God sent Jesus out with came with power, it came with control, it came with the ability to do the things that he had called him to do. Jesus then looks at the disciples and says, I'm not just sending you out as some Joe Blow, no, I'm sending you out as Jesus. I'm sending you out in the same authority that God has sent me out, and so therefore you're not going to be alone, you're going to have power with everywhere and you're going to have the power that I give to you to go out. See, we read this verse and I can even, I, I, I can understand some of this. I can understand that the disciples have a job to do. The disciples are being sent out. The disciples can go out into the, into the community and we find out later that they do and there's amazing things that happen and we're going to get to that in, in a moment, but When we read this verse, a resurrected Jesus sends them. But do you understand that a resurrected Jesus sends us as well? It's not just the disciples that we're talking about here. Scripture did not just end when Jesus died on the cross and was buried and then resurrected the next day. All of the things that Jesus spoke while he was on this earth were for the disciples, but guess what? They were also for us today. This scripture that we read today is as much for us today as it was for them 2,000 years ago. We have to understand that when Jesus sends, I am send, when Jesus says, I am sending you out, that he's sending us out too. He's calling us to be active in our faith. He's calling us to do these things. Yes, even you are being sent. 
Now, when we say that, oftentimes people go, oh, you mean you're sending me to, um, you're sending me to the mission field? I'm going to have to go to Africa? Going to have to go to Guatemala? I don't want to go there. I might meet Carla. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Guatemala is a wonderful place. You want to go there, actually, but might have to go to El Salvador. I might have to go somewhere where I, I may not feel comfortable with. How can I do this? I may even be embarrassed because God may send me to my neighbor and ask me to share the gospel with my neighbor. Oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Well, if you realize that Jesus is sending you in the same way that he sends the disciples, you're not walking out alone. You're walking in the authority structure that God has given to Jesus and Jesus has then given to us. And so therefore we're not alone and we shouldn't be fearful and we shouldn't lock ourselves up. I struggled as I was writing this sermon because I kept thinking about this past year. We have been locked up for a year. And what I learned about this in this past year, what I learned about not only myself and I learned about our church and what I learned about Christians is that when we face things, when we face tragedy, we're not very good at it. And what I mean by that is that I remember, I think, I, 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 was, I was recalling, you know, last year during this time when we were online and we were fearful. I, I, we were meeting in Corey and Lena's basements. <laughs> and I was, you know, I told my wife, I said, I, I don't know, what if Corey catches something from FedEx and I'm in his basement and I'm singing with him, you know, I'm going to, I'm sure, I'm we're going to get sick and we're going to die and we're going to have all, you know, all of these thoughts of fear running through my mind and I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing? And then eventually at some point last year, I'm like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm just like the disciples. I'm locking myself up out of fear. Now, listen, I'm not telling you not to be wi- wise, not to be, we- not to be weird, no, weird and wise, what, what, that, that'd be weirds. Uh, no, I'm not ta- telling you not to be wise. We need to be wise, right? I'm not telling you to go lick people's faces. I'm not telling you not to wear your mask. I'm not telling you to go do... I'm telling you to be, have wisdom about you. But one of the things that I think we've learned from ourselves, we've learned about ourselves, we've learned about the church, is that we don't know how to handle fearful situations and we don't do a really good job of sharing the gospel in the middle of all of these things. The best thing that we could do was struggle to get a, a live stream going in Corey's basement. Now, is that bad? No, I think we did a, a, an okay job. It wasn't the best job, but it was okay, right? Circumstances being what they may. But now we're a year later. A year later, we should be doing more things. A year later, we need to take a look at this. The church as a whole needs to take a look at it. I'm not just tell, talking about us here at Passion Community Church. I'm talking about the church as a whole. We need to have an understanding of what are we doing to share the gospel? What has really happened and what we're finding out in, from Barnum and all the other trusted researchers is that Christianity was really, in the last year, put on hold. A lot of the events that churches used to do, a lot of the outreach that used to happen, a lot of those things, they just stopped. And what has happened is because these things have stopped, Christianity is declining at a faster rate than it ever has been before. 
Now, some can say that it has been declining for years, and it has been, but the percentage of loss of Christianity in the past year has been higher than it ever has been in the world. When I think about that, I think to myself, but isn't this the time? Isn't this the moment when Christians should be standing up and coming up with new ideas, coming up with understandings and, and, and how we can lead? Yeah, maybe we can't meet together, but why can't we get together? I remember we, Chaz and I and, and Jenna used to get together every week online on, Facebook, on um, Zoom. And we would have this prayer meeting. And it was great. And the first time we did it, we had you know, 20, 30 people show up. And then the longer we did it, of course, as it always happens, the less people showed up. And then some of the last times we did it, we had no one on there. It was just Chaz and Tanya and Miss Jen and I. Miss Jen, listen to it. <laughs> but we as Christians have to do a better job of how, how to handle events like what's going on. Because the truth of the matter is, if you read Revelations, if you read the last book of the Bible, this isn't just the only thing that's going to happen. This isn't going to be the only time when we're going to have to decide whether we want to get together and do we want to face death by getting together and sharing church together. By the way, Scripture also says, do not forsake the what? The ecclesia? The gathering of the church? Do not forsake the church as others have done? There's a time coming in this country, if it hasn't already been here, that, that we are going to be persecuted as Christians just because of our faith. There's a time coming when we, in fact, I think a lot of times if you look around, it's already happening. There's many, many Christians who are uh, um, sacrificing their faith or allowing their ideas of what faith is to be perverted and changed so that they fit in with the, the culture today. We were never called to fit in with the culture today. We were called to be anti-culture and we were called to be of God, not of this world. And so the question really is, is that why, why as we as Christians are we allowing ourselves to be locked up in the upper room with, like the disciples were, living in fear? We should be the ones who are leading the charge outside and saying, yes, we can do this smartly. We can do this with wisdom. We can wear our mask and still have church, not fight over whether we should wear a mask or not. Who cares? <laughs> I'll never forget when we decided to come back in person. It didn't happen here at this church, but almost all of my friends who are pastors said, our church is divided. In fact, several of the churches that I'm close with in terms of my friends they had to have two services, one without mask and one with mask, because the church was so divided and fighting amongst each other whether they should wear mask or not. Talking about being silliness. Why do we as Christians allow something as small as this to divide us? Who cares? That's not our job. Our job isn't to be divided by this. Our job is to be out sharing the gospel of Christ with the people around us. Jesus comes into this upper room. He says, peace be, to, peace be among you. And I am sending you. He goes on to say something that's amazing. In verse 22 he says, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold, if you hold back, if you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, wait a minute, Pastor. 
How, do, how does Jesus give us the ability to forgive sins? You might be asking yourself that question. And when he has said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. What Jesus says to them in this very room, he comes up to them and he says, peace be among you. Peace I give to you. Peace I'm here. I'm sending you as the Father has sent me. So I am sending you the authority that the Father has given to me. I am now given to you. And he walks up to them and good thing he didn't have onions or didn't just have a pizza with a lot of mushrooms or whatever. He goes, that moment in time, Jesus is making a point. You know, we often think about the Holy Spirit coming upon Christians as the day of Pentecost, and we celebrate that, and that is the the day of Pentecost when, when uh, when the fire falls upon them. But this is way before Pentecost. This is the day after, or the day, that evening of, the day that, this is, this is, Resurrection Sunday evening. This is immediately as Jesus has been resurrected, he comes into this room and he breathes upon them and he says that, Scripture says that, and when he said this, he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. This isn't just what happened in the, in the upper room. This isn't just what happened when the tongues of fire came down on the day of Pentecost upon them. This is Jesus giving to them the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know what your theology is, Nor do I, well, I do care. But, but I should say, this has been anti my theology all my life. All my life, I thought, oh, the Holy Spirit didn't come until the day of Pentecost. And so the first day that I read this, the first time that I read this many, many years ago, I thought to myself, how can this be? Oh, this must, John must be mistaken about the time. And so therefore, this is going on. And I went back and I had to do some study and I had to wrap my head around this. And as I began to wrap my head around this, I realized that this was actually Easter Sunday night. And Jesus is breathing upon them the Holy Spirit. What is he doing? What Jesus is doing at that very moment is, is overcoming the fear that the disciples have. And he's doing that by breathing upon them the Holy Spirit who's coming into their life to give them power, to give them strength, to give them boldness, to give them encouragement, to go out and do what God has called them to do. Our theology says that if you accept Jesus Christ into your heart. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. If you believe what he did on the cross for you, then you shall be saved. But in that transaction, in that, in that same way of when we're accepting Jesus for what he did on the cross, what happens is not only do we accept Jesus and do we have eternity in heaven, but there's an exchange, a gifting of the Holy Spirit comes upon us and it's inside of us and it's with us so that we can have the power to go do things. See, too often we as Christians and many Christians will reside and say, I don't want to do, uh, the Holy Spirit is a little strange, you know, so might ask me to to. to might ask me to do something I wouldn't feel comfortable doing. When in reality, the Holy Spirit is what Jesus gives to his disciples so that they have the power to go out and do the work that he's been called to do. 
And then this interesting exchange happens. Verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Jesus is not passing upon his authority to the disciples saying, you now have the authority. The authority rests now in Peter to say, Corey, by Peter, your sins are forgiven. He's not going to Chaz and saying, Chaz, by the power of John, you have the chance to forgive, your sins are forgiven. He's not saying that at all. Because the truth of the matter is, is that there's only one that can forgive sins, and that is Jesus Christ. There's only one way, one truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. Through me is the only way to heaven. The only way through heaven is to have your sins forgiven, to have you come to a, a place of salvation, to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and what you have done. So Jesus is the only way to have your sins forgiven. So why did Jesus then tell them that if you forgive, I will forgive? What Jesus is doing is he's making a point to his disciples this is again the, the authority that Jesus gives them. When he breathes upon them and they receive the Holy Spirit, he expects them not to stay up in that upper room. He doesn't expect them to stay there and be in fear. He expects them to leave that room to go out and share the gospel of Christ. What happens when you share the gospel of Christ in power and in strength? People's lives change. Why do they change? Because they come to the realization that they're not any good and they need Jesus to forgive them of their sins. And so what Jesus is telling them here is that if you go out into the community, if you go out into the towns, if you go out into the city and you share my message and you do it in power, the power of the Holy Spirit is upon you, then people will come to a redemption, they'll fall to their knees and they will ask Jesus to forgive them and you can confirm to them that their sins are forgiven because of what I have done on that cross. What Jesus was trying to tell them is that their message no longer was going to be powerless. Their message, if you remember correctly, if you read back in Scripture, you find the disciples trying to deliver, sin, deliver evil spirits. And they're not successful. And so they come to Jesus and they have this conversation with Jesus and they say, what's going on? We, we did exactly what you taught us to do. And he said to them, this comes by prayer. What Jesus was sharing with his disciples that day and what he's confirming to them now is that by the prayer, or by the power that I give to you in the Holy Spirit, you can overcome these things. Jesus busts into this room. He comes up to them and he tells them to be peaceful. He comes into their fearful, locked areas of their life and he wants to tear down the chains. He wants to tear down the fear. He wants to do all of those things and say, I am here and peace I'm bringing to you. And not only am I bringing you peace, but I'm bringing you power. And he breathes upon them so that they can have the Holy Spirit. And then he says, go out. He's sending them out and he's saying, I'm not just sending you out to bake cookies. <laughs> I'm not just sending you out to smile at someone. I'm sending you out with the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can share the gospel message with those around you and those people will come to a, re uh, a need to have their sins forgiven and you can assure to them that their sins are forgiven because of what I've done. A resurrected Jesus brings the Holy Spirit and forgiveness. The truth of the matter is, is that if Jesus had not been resurrected, the disciples would have never received the Holy Spirit. They would have never had the power to leave that room. 
they would have never had the overcoming the fear that they needed to do that. See, in the same way, Jesus overcomes the fears that you have. A resurrected Jesus means that you don't have to stay locked up in your fear. A resurrected Jesus doesn't mean that you have to stay in your house and be afraid. You can don a mask and go out and share the gospel with your neighbor. You can go out and do outreach. You can go out and do these things that God has called us to do. You don't have to be afraid because Jesus is with us. And as long as you're being wise, as long as you're having wisdom, you can do the things that God has called you to do. And God gives us, by the way, the Holy Spirit doesn't just send you out and say, good luck. I know there's COVID out there, so good luck. Here, kick you in the behind, get out there. No, the Holy Spirit sends you out with wisdom. I'm always amazed. I'll leave it there, never mind. Holy Spirit gives you wisdom as well as strength. Use it. God has given you the wisdom. He's given you the intellect. He's given you the Holy Spirit to walk with you. Why do we abandon it? Why are we afraid? Why are we allowing ourselves to be locked up? And listen, I'm not just talking about masks and I'm not just talking about COVID. Why are we afraid to deal with the things in our life that we need to deal with? The addictions we have in our life, why are we afraid not to deal with them? Let's deal with them. The unforgiveness that we have in our life, why are we afraid to deal with those things? We need to deal with them. The areas in our life where we need to improve, the areas in our life where we need to get better, we need to deal with them. Jesus makes it possible for us to do that, and he's calling us to do that. A resurrected Jesus makes this all possible. Jesus' resurrection makes it possible for us to do all of these things. I want to end with this. You know, for the last few years, our churches, we've seen ups and downs. We've seen some amazing things happen. I could sit here and, and rattle off all of the amazing things that have happened. People healed of cancer. Babies being born. <laughs> when the doctor said there would be no babies born. People being told that they have six months to live and God does a miracle in their life and they're still walking the earth this day. And that was eight years ago. People telling us that we'll never be able to reach out into the schools and do ministry in the schools and the schools asking us to come and stay there and be there and have our church there. Those are all amazing things. God has done some amazing, beautiful things in our church. But what we need to understand is that God is not done. As much as I love talking about what God has done, I'm excited about what God is going to do. And see, I believe in the same way this, this time, this very moment that we're living in right now, that God has entered into the room and he is waiting to breathe upon us and say, don't be afraid, don't be locked up in this room, don't lock yourself up in your houses anymore. It's time that you get out and you start doing what God has called us to do. I believe we have to stop being afraid of what's going on around us and start being looking towards God himself. And so today I want to I encourage you, I want to launch something new in our church. I'm calling it the other six. For years, we've done a wonderful job. We've been working really, really hard to make our Sunday service as good as it could be. We, a small group of us, get together every Sunday morning 
at 8 o'clock in the morning, 8.30 in the morning, and we set up chairs and we set up sound equipment and we uh, go to Dunkin' Donuts and buy donuts and <laughs> we do all of this work and we, we make it hard so that when you come in this door on Sunday morning, you look around and it looks sort of like church. But the truth of the matter is, is that church on Sunday morning is just one small portion of our life. It's a place where we should be encouraging, where we should be uh, celebrating together, where we should be joining together and having fun, and those are all wonderful things. But the truth of the matter is, is that there are six other days of the week that we don't... What are we doing? What are you doing with your other six days? Well, pastor, I work. I take care of my kids. I go to sporting uh, events. I... I go here, I do this, I do that. Yeah, I get it. I know, so do I. But what I want to encourage you to do is look at this. I want, you to, I want to encourage yourself that six days a week the Lord has given to us on the seventh day he rested. Six days God works. He does and he makes and he creates and he does all of these things and then the seventh day he comes together and he rests. See, Sunday morning should be a time isn't this funny? It should be a time of rest, Corey. It's Sunday morning, a time of rest? Not so much. Yeah, yeah, sure, right? But the truth of the matter is Sunday morning should be a time of celebration. It should be a time when we come together and we talk about what has happened the other six days of the week. See, we need to get out of this function of thinking that church is all about Sunday morning and church is just what we do on Sunday morning. We've got to get out of that and start thinking that church is a celebration on Sunday morning of what has happened all week long. You have been given six days a week and whether that's in your job or whether that's in your home or whether that's in your family or the places you go, God has given to you and God wants to breathe upon you the Holy Spirit to allow you to go into your jobs, to go into the places that you visit and to make a difference in those very places. And so what I want to do is over the next rest of this year, we're going to be talking about this whether it's through home groups or it's through Sunday school or it's through different events and things we do, I want to challenge you to challenge yourself to every day for six days do something to see the kingdom of God moved. Share the gospel with a neighbor. Pray with a coworker. Start a Bible study at your work during lunch. Volunteer at Habitat for Humanity to help build a house. Help deliver food bags to the school. See, the problem of it is is that we want to protect the other six days. I'll give God Sunday morning because that's where I need to be. I need to be at church and I need to celebrate Him. But the rest of the week, we sometimes don't give God those rest of the week. I'm not saying all of us, and I'm not saying that we do this all the time. But we need to have a directive focus where we're thinking about every day of the week is as important as Sunday morning is. Because quite honestly, you work in a job that I'll never, and you, t- and you see people that I'll never get to talk to. And so just a, uh, just a simple, can I pray for you? How many times in your job do you have someone that comes up to you and says, man, I had a crappy weekend. My, my uh, father is dealing with cancer and all of this stuff's going on. Can I just pray for you? 
The wife and I are having lots of difficulty. Can I pray for your marriage? Can I share about God with you? See, we have six days a week to make this, make a difference. I think we as Christians need to get out of the locked room. We need to get out of the fear and start entering into what's going on. Because listen, again, as I said before, we are in the end times. I believe more, I I believe this with all my heart and soul, that we are entering into the end of days. It doesn't take much to look around and see what's going on. The world is not going in in a great place. And according to scripture, it's only going to get worse. We're going to need the encouragement. We're going to need the strength. We're going to need the boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit to go out into this world and make a difference. But just because the world is going, (laughs) I almost said going to hell. (laughs) And that's true. Just because the world is going there doesn't mean that we have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of what's going on around us. No, we just have to have the strength of the Lord. We have to have the boldness of the Holy Spirit to go out and share. To share the gospel with those around us. Listen, I don't care if you're the youngest person or the oldest person in this room. And I've said this before and I'll continue saying this. If you're breathing in and out, God has a plan for you. A plan not only to bless you, but a plan to also get you to share the gospel with those around you. And it's time that we do that. Will you stand with me, please? Are you locked up in fear? Has the fear of COVID of the last year, let's be honest. Let's be truthful with each other. There has been times over the previous year that I've been locked up in fear. I've allowed the fear of COVID just control my whole entire life and everything that I did. But one of the things that I started doing last summer was I pull into the grocery store and I knew walking into the grocery store I'd see more people than I'd ever seen before and so I would pause and just say, Lord, protect me. Should I go into this store or should I not? And I'll tell you, there's times that the Lord said, don't go into that store and I didn't. I don't know why. I don't know if someone had COVID. I don't know if someone was going on but I just didn't go into that store. Moved on. What I'm encouraging you to do today, though, is let's not be like the disciples that were afraid to walk out into the community, to walk out because Jesus had been crucified and they were afraid they were going to be crucified. Are you afraid that the the world around you is going to crucify you for your faith? Who cares? (laughs) It's better to be with Christ than to be in this world. Let me tell you, I can tell you that right now. Let's not be afraid. Let's not walk in the fear any longer. Let's not walk in the fear of this world and the fear of all things that are going on. Yes, let's walk in wisdom. Let's walk in understanding, but let's not be afraid to do what God has called us to do. We lasted 15 years as a church, not because we ever walked in fear. We lasted 15 years because God blessed us. If we're going to do another 15 years, which if I have anything to do with it, we'll be around for much longer than 15 years. But if we're going to last another 15 years, it's going to take the boldness of the Holy Spirit upon us. And it's going to take us not afraid of, of what, whatever's going on in the world around us. It's going to take us, it's going to take strength. 
It's going to take encouragement. It's going to take boldness. It's going to take us together, working together, encouraging each other, teaching each other how to go out into this world and do what God has called us to do. So may today we make that choice to not live in fear, but instead walk in the power of a resurrected Jesus who brings you peace and brings you the Holy Spirit so that you can go out and do what he has called us to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the power that comes in your resurrection and the power that comes in the Holy Spirit that you give to us. Lord, you called the disciples not to be in that room. You called them to be, have peace and then you called them to go out. As the Father has sent you, you are sending them. And so, Father, in that same way, I hear, I believe, I know that you're calling us in the same way, in the same authority that you gave the disciples to go out and share the message of Jesus and what you have done for us on the cross. You have called us to do the same. But Lord, we have allowed fear, we have allowed the unknown, we have allowed our laziness, we have allowed whatever it might be to keep us back from doing those things. But today, we make a commitment to you. We say we will no longer live in fear. We'll no longer be held back by what's going on in the world around us. And instead, will share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and not be afraid of what's going to happen. Father, there's many wonderful stories of what happened when the disciples walked in the power of the Holy Spirit and shared the message of the Holy Spirit with those around them. Thousands came to know you, Father, because their message was a message of power. May you give us the same power, the same encouragement to go out into this world and to see thousands of people come to know you. because we walk in that power. Father, I pray that as we start down this road of the other six, Father, that you give us encouragement, that you give us wisdom of how to live those other six days of the week sharing the gospel that you have given to us. Forgive us for being lazy. Forgive us for being tied up in fear. Forgive us for being tied up in all of these things that keep us from sharing that message. But instead, send us forth. We ask you, forgive us, Lord, and send us commission us to go forth to do your will. We love you, Lord. Father, there may be some here that are either watching online or here in this room that have never given their life to you before, that have never understood the power that comes in the resurrection of Jesus. May today be the day of salvation for them. If you are here today with every eye closed and every head bowed, we just say to you, it's as easy as what Romans 10 tells us to do, and that is to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and to believe in your heart. What that means is you just make a commitment to him and you say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Be my Savior. Come into my heart. When you speak those words, Jesus welcomes you in with open arms to a salvation with him. And he breathes upon you the Holy Spirit. Father, help us to walk in that power. Whether we are being first saved today or we've been saved for many, many years. Lord, may we make a commitment in this place, in this moment, in this time to walk forward in that power to do your will. We glorify you. We honor you. And we praise you now in Jesus' most precious and holy name. Amen and amen. Let's worship together.